Hey guys, it's Ryan. Thanks for tuning into Theology-ish. Before we jump in, I just want to emphasize that the discussions on this podcast are exploratory in nature and delve into a variety of theological perspectives. They do not strictly represent or define our personal stances on the faith nor the doctrine of our affiliated churches. We encourage listeners to reflect, question, and seek guidance from their local church leaders. Our goal is to foster understanding and curiosity. We ask that you listen with a humble and discerning mind. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Theology-ish. I am one of your hosts, William Berry. Today with me, as always, is my co-host, Ryan Kelly. What's going on? Oh, well, you know, just uh, casting some pod, bro. What's what's going on with you? Not a whole lot. Um, we're recording this right after Thanksgiving. It's true. Uh, I'm fuller than a tick and yeah, bloated and happy. Uh, You've been having a good uh, holiday. Yeah, we didn't do a, a Thanksgiving episode, which maybe we should have, but that's we fine. We should have. Didn't think about it, though. No, that's all right, though. Uh, good holiday, though. We had a good time. Uh, I mean, you were there. Yeah. Nothing particularly interesting, but it was it was good. Yeah, good food. Yeah. Turkey was good. Turkey was good. Yeah, it was just smoked turkey that... Uh, Ryan's dad picked up from a barbecue place. Yeah, City and, Barbecue. Yeah, and it was it was a really good turkey. So yeah, any uh, any other life things going on? Anything cool happening? Uh, I deadlifted four hundred five yesterday. Oh, look um, at you! I can't move today. My back hurts. My legs hurt. <laughs> uh, but I I did it. So good for you. Exciting. I now have a deadlift that is impressive if I were a woman, so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am now as strong as a, as a strong woman, so got that going for me, which is nice. That's more than I can say. Yeah. Maybe someday. Yeah. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. No. Do, do you have any life updates? Um... No. All right. Well, no, not really. I, I haven't done anything of note. All right. Well, today we are not talking about life updates. We are talking about something else. Ryan, why don't you, why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about? Well, I thought it would be fun to discuss whether or not church and or church attendance are necessary in the modern age of Christianity. Define necessary. Necessary as in something we ought to do. Mm. So not like required for salvation, but... uh, Yeah, and we'll have to do an episode on salvation one of these days and actually talk about that. Soteriology is the technical term. Dig into that, uh... I think it's a fair thing to say, in my opinion, that church attendance itself is not necessary for salvation, right? That, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that some other day. So but the, the technical term for what we will be talking about today uh, is ecclesiology, which is yeah. a fancy way of saying church stuff. So we're going to be talking about church stuff 
and whether or not we need to attend because we have podcasts and where we can listen to people talk about Jesus and we have live streams of services and YouTube videos of pastors talking about things. So do you have to go to church when you got that other stuff that's kind of like church? Yeah, so... Is is that fair? Yeah, and I think that this has really become a bigger question in the last several years, what with uh, COVID and... You believe in COVID? <laughs> Ooh, yeesh. Let's, uh, <laughs> we're not going to get into that, but... My church, like many, shut down uh, towards the start of COVID for a while, and a lot of churches took a really big hit, uh, not only financially, but also in terms of attendance. Um, And most churches, I want to say, at least a large number of them are kind of bouncing back at this point, Uh, again, financially and in terms of, of numbers, but there are still churches out there that are struggling following COVID just for, for one reason or another, people just aren't coming back like they used to. And one of the things that you see people talking about when we talk about stuff like this is live stream church, because during COVID, a lot of churches, mine included various others. I know your church did it. Uh, both of our churches still do it is they live stream their service because well, if you can't show up in person, live stream it. That that makes sense. Um, and the problem has become most churches, again, like ours and countless others, continue to do this. So it, it became the question of, is that sufficient? Now that we're kind of past the big COVID scare, right? You know, it, it's not a concern like it used to be, at least. Um, is it okay to keep doing that? when we can actually return to church physically and kind of, I want to, I want to dig into some of the, the arguments on that and some of the opposing views and and discuss that. So let's let's dive into that. Okay. Well, I, I think for starters, this is kind of a question. Um, I'm going to use some slightly technical terms and I will define those terms. So we have, Churches with high ecclesiology or high churches that has nothing to do with cannabis. And then we have low ecclesiology or low churches, which has nothing to do with their relation to sea level. The high churches are things like Catholic churches, Orthodox churches, Anglican churches, where there is a high view of this thing we call church, right? Those are going to be the ones that tend to have prettier buildings. They're going to have a a liturgical calendar that they follow. The priest is going to be called something like a priest rather than pastor or whatever. And they're probably going to wear uh, funny robes and silly hats. Um, The vestments, which I recently learned, is just French for clothes. Really? Vestment is French for clothes. Huh. Le vêtement. The more you know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and then you've got low churches, which are like Baptist churches. I think Presbyterians count as low churches. Yeah. Pentecostals. Um, Pentecostals, Church of God, Assemblies of God. 
non-denominational non-denoms you know that's the kind where your worship pastor doesn't wear shoes and uh there are no stained glass windows and you probably don't even have a steeple hey man i go to a baptist church and we have stained glass windows in our sanctuary those were there before you guys showed up and it used to be a different church which was also baptist was it yeah okay well (laughs) <laughs> whatever uh <laughs> yes we're the, the cool baptists we get stained glass windows low churches might exist in what used to be a chinese restaurant in the strip mall yeah high churches probably aren't gonna do that so that yeah that calls to mind actually a church uh in in our area that just actually bought out a space in a mall about 20 minutes from where we live and is currently in the process of refurbishing that mall space to become their new church. Nice. It's it, it might be Baptist. It might be probably non-denom. Non-denom. It's one of those. It, it's a low church. Yeah. Yeah. It's a low <laughs> church. So, if you are a part of a high church, you would not be asking this question. Or did I say lower high church? You said low church. I'm in high church. If you're part of a high church, you would not ask. Is it? required or necessary or important for me to go to church in person because the high church people will all unanimously say absolutely why are you asking that that's a silly question yeah uh because they have ideas about the eucharist where it is the body and blood of christ Mm -hmm. where um you cannot receive the Eucharist, and it is not the Eucharist if it is not performed by either a bishop or someone who has authority yeah. granted by a bishop to perform the sacrament, right? Um, they're going to say things like baptism confers grace. The high churches have that view of things where salvation is a free gift from God, and you get to it through the church, yeah. and there's not a way to get to it outside of the church yeah or how you know you have to do confession to a presbyterer and that will be how you receive grace through them and Uh, uh, you got to do your repentance method of yes but that that kind of line of thought yeah so the high churches are that kind of thing and the low churches are going to be more like oh well it's symbolic you know it's a cracker and juice it's not really the body and blood of christ baptism doesn't really do it it's a symbol like they're gonna say that kind of thing so a person who's part of a high church tradition if you're like oh okay well do foxhole conversions does work a high church person might have a little bit more pause with that because that's not in communion with the church yeah, And there's not salvation apart from the church, right? A low church person would not have a problem with a foxhole conversion because yeah. it's just it's just about you and Jesus, man. So, yeah. um, as far as I know, in recent years, this uh, whole live streaming thing hasn't really impacted the Catholics and the Orthodoxes in the same way that it has us lowly Protestants. No, but in large part, I don't think it has, uh, at least not in my experience or the things that I've seen. Because why would it? Because they're high church, right? They have a high ecclesiology. So this is a problem for people who have low ecclesiologies. And 
I'm not saying that to dunk on low ecclesiologies. I'm just pointing out that there's a, yeah. a discrepancy here in the way that people understand what church is and how it functions. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's dig a little bit into that and and ask, what is church? Because I think that the starting point really has to be defining what that is, right? Because some people might say the church is a building or a thing you do or go to, or it's a community, or it's this or that. And other people will say, well, church is not at all tied to a building, and it's so much more than that, right? So if we're going to define the term church, where do we start with that? Church is a translation of the word ecclesia in Greek, and ecclesia means the gathering, right? That's why okay. there are so many Protestant churches called the gathering. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Ecclesiastes is mm-hmm. called that because it's uh, – the first verse says that it's like he addresses to the gathering. Yeah. And in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's the ecclesia, ecclesiastes. Yeah. Right? Uh, so that's why church stuff is called ecclesiology because it's ecclesia. That makes right? sense. Ecclesiology. Um, so we've got it just in the strictest sense, it is a, a gathering, right? Okay. Um, that's the point I'm trying to get at. Uh, you want to get weird, Ryan? I'd love to get weird, you William. You want to get mystical? You yeah. want to do some mystical uh, reflections on, on the function of the church? Yeah, let's get into it. All right, let's get weird. The church is the bride of Christ. Right? Yes. And... Hmm. How do I want to say this? It is also the body of Christ, right? Yes. We are Christ's hands and feet in the world, as Paul puts it. Um, We are part of his body, and we are in union with his body. And he establishes his body on earth through his apostles, right? And then from then on... You can uh, elect to join in with the body and become a member of it, or not. Yeah. Right? And insofar as you are participating in the hands, as the hands and feet of Jesus in the body of Christ established on earth, then you are part of that thing. You are in union with it. Um, and if you're not participating in it and you're not in union with it then you aren't yeah does does that make sense yeah that makes sense yeah so uh, at its root it is a gathering the church is is a gathering the term church means gathering but the church yeah is the outworking of christ's presence on earth through human persons. Okay, so if, if that, that is sense. the case, that means that church is not strictly a group thing, right? 
it it is not held to the the strict bounds that it is a group thing that we do if it is the works of Christ through people that can be done but, individually right but i don't think it is okay because you can't there is baked into that mm-hmm. um a communal aspect okay you cannot love your neighbor as yourself without your neighbor mm. right you can't be the hands and feet of jesus going and doing the work of jesus which involves people without being around people yeah right this is uh a criticism that you will see about monks and hermits yeah and the hermitages that they cut themselves off from the world and you can't be about the things of christ if you are not in contact with the world on some level because again you can't love your neighbor without your neighbor right um that makes sense yeah yeah you follow me yeah i follow you i like that okay so at its core, then, church is a, a group thing. It is a thing done in fellowship with other other followers of Christ. It is my conviction that that is the case. There are other people that would disagree with me, yeah. and those people are welcome to disagree with me and send their questions and comments to theologyish at gmail.com, and I will email them back and tell them how they're wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think... That it, uh, well, yeah, I'm gonna ig- ignore that thought. Continue your what you were saying, and we'll, yeah. So, I guess the question from there then becomes okay, it's a, it's a, it's a community thing, it's a brotherhood thing, it is a, a communal thing at its core. So, that would imply, yeah, church is something you ought to go to. Um, whether or not it is required for something like, say, salvation is, again, an, a whole other discussion. But ought we go to church because of that? And I don't know, just to, just for argument's sake. Well, if that's the case, does that mean that we necessarily need these brick-and-mortar churches the way they are today, right? Where we've got you know, spaces in malls or in old buildings that low churches perhaps might might take and turn into a church or say the Catholics or or other high church functions that have these big cathedrals and these gorgeous buildings with their stained glass windows. Do we need those? Because I don't know, man, I can have a gathering of Christ followers in my home or at a public park, or at the coffee shop down the street. So uh, so do we need these brick-and-mortar churches the way that we see them today? If you had a gathering of people talk of, come to your home, and we talked about Jesus at your home, and we did that at least once a week, and they started inviting their friends, and their friend invited two people, and the, those two people showed up, before long, you'd run out of seating. Sure. And before long, it becomes a function of practicality for us to have a dedicated space to have the meetings Mm, but right so why do that when you can simply multiply right say all right we've gotten too big we're gonna split into two different churches now and send you guys this way and we'll keep doing that and then boom churches everywhere right and everyone's homes 
what is the benefit of that as opposed to not? Well, this is just uh, for argument's sake, but. Because fewer people should be pastors than are already. Mm. Um, there are too many pastors that have no business doing it because they're not cut out for it. Both uh, intellectually, they're not up to snuff, and spiritually, they're immature. And yet they are in places of leadership, and they do a lot of more harm than they do good. So now the truth comes out. William hates pastors. <laughs> I think that some pastors are bad at the job. Um, and that's that's realistically that's fair. There are uh, there are bad pastors. There are bad out pastors. There. I, I I don't know very many of them, and those that I have known, I haven't maintained relationships with because why would I? I don't yeah, think they're bad at what they do. Um, but there are there are people that are bad at it, and if there are already people that are bad at it and people that are not spiritually mature enough to lead the congregations, if we have more congregations, now we have more people that are spiritually immature leading those congregations, right? So, and that creates problems. So the problem is less the idea of, of home churches in that kind of sense. It's more so an issue with— Leadership. Well, and, if, if you're into low ecclesiology, yeah, the prob an immediate problem is if you could have uh, sufficient quality leaders to do the thing. Yeah, because there, there's already a problem in the church as we have it now. Getting people that are able to lead in the church and lead effectively, yeah, and do the job well. Okay, well, so, what about the high churches? So, I mean, obviously, like I said, a lot of them will have cathedrals or these big intricate buildings, which are gorgeous most of the time. And they have this crazy stonework and these beautiful stained glass windows and all this. Now, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but do most of them view that as as necessary, right? Like the cathedral has to be this way because the church is a holy thing. Is that is that the thought process there? Um, more or less, uh, I, I am a filthy Protestant, so yeah. I, I can't. I can only speak to that a little bit. Yeah. But my understanding of it is, um, the church as the body of and the bride of Christ. It is the meeting place of heaven and earth, right? Mm. And. Because it is the work place where Christ does his work on earth through humans in relation to each other, because it is that, it's supposed to be sacred and heavenly, right? Yeah. And I know this is the case in Orthodox churches. They have their sanctuary set up in a very specific way that's supposed to kind of— it's set up in a way that's kind of similar to like the Old Testament temple where there's like an inner place and an outer place. The altar where they consecrate the bread and wine in the Orthodox Church, if I understand it correctly, I've read a lot of books and talked to some people. I've not been to one myself, but my understanding is that the altar is kept behind a screen. Yeah. So it's actually separated from the place that everyone else in the sanctuary is. So if you go to like a Catholic church or a Baptist church or whatever, there might be like an altar. Yep. But, and then there's like the stage behind the altar and then there's just chairs out in front of it yeah. or pews or whatever. 
in an Orthodox church, there's a screen that blocks off the altar from the laity of the church because in the Old Testament temple, you have the inner place of the temple. You have the Holy of Holies, and they're kind of mirroring that because the whole the temple in the Old Testament is supposed to be a mirror of heaven, right? So yeah. it's heaven on earth, and it's this little microcosm of how heaven looks. That's the theology behind it. Yeah. So when you have a high ecclesiology, you try to make the space one that is worthy of contemplating God in, right? It's one that's beautiful and divine and sacred. Um, yeah, and you kind of get that that line of thought, too, in Scripture with the Ark of the Covenant mm-hmm. and how it, it has to be set up a very specific way. The tent has to be done a very specific way. The inner chamber is not to be accessed, but what is it, one time a year? Mm-hmm. By the... By the uh, High priest fella. Yep, and he's got to wear his chest plate of jewels and... Ephod. Yeah, and all that, and, you know, you have to come in prayer, and the Ark is where the presence of God is. That is where the presence of God rests. Um, And so I, I think you get a lot of that from that as well, and I wonder if the temples were intentionally reminiscent of that as well, and this idea of that inner inner sanctum, that the inside of that tent, that is heaven on earth. And the yeah. outside, you know, and, and I, isn't. I, I think the low church Protestant response to that idea would be, well, when Jesus is crucified, the, the veil is torn from top to bottom. The sure. Holy of Holies is now accessible to everyone. It's not, uh, God is no longer sequestered from us. And to some extent, that's fair. But... In the Orthodox Church, as far as I understand it, it's not a curtain that blocks people out. It's a screen, right? Mm. It's permeated now. Yeah. But there is still something of a—I think an Orthodox priest would say that it's not just symbolic. It is the reality that there is— this sacred space, there's the heavenly realm, and you move from point A, which is where we are, to point B, which is the heavenly spot. Yeah. And, you know, it's symbolic, but it's also deeper than just a symbol. It is how it is. Yeah. And on that screen in the Orthodox churches, they will have pictures of saints. They'll have a bunch of icons all over it. Yeah. So... As you move from the worldly place to the heavenly place, you go through these uh, these doors and these gates, and you are entering into the presence of the saints, right? And into the presence of the angels and the heavenly beings, right? Yeah. To go and consecrate the body and blood of Christ at the altar, then bring it out for the congregation. Yeah. Um, is that too trippy? Or are you following? You no, tracking? I follow. Um, so for them, the structure of the thing is necessary. It's part of it. Yeah. If you don't have that veil with the icons of the saints, it's not a church, right? Yeah. If you don't have the space set up how it ought to be set up, 
And it ought to be set up that way because it is the tradition of the church for over a thousand years that this is how the church does it. Yeah. Um, so they do it that way. And there's theological reasons for it and everything, but the question that we're asking if church has to be how it is, it's, I, I don't think it's something that an Orthodox Christian would even bring up. It's a given. No, but you know, it, it brings to mind uh, a question that I would have for someone who feels that way um, about uh, certain situations that would lead to that being inaccessible um, that we've seen play out before stuff like World War II, uh, as we discussed in the episode about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, how he was going, you know, town to town, running an underground church, basically, while he was trying not to get dead by the Nazis. Um, you know, for them in Nazified Germany, circa 1942 to 45, they didn't really have access to stuff like temples or cathedrals or churches. And the ones they did have access to were being run by Nazis. So the question becomes, in a situation like that, if you're from a high ecclesiology church function, would something like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer was doing count? Is that church enough in a situation dire like that? I believe that the answer is probably yes. I also believe that if your priest and your bishop are the kind of men the priests and bishops ought to be, um, they will be holding service anyway. Mm. Um, and we've seen that play out again and again in history. Uh, th now, there, there's this great story. Okay. If, if I could just brief yeah. digression. This has little to do with anything. Yeah. St. Basil of Caesarea. Yes. Right? So modern-day Turkey. He was... Uh, very important church thought father. He lived in the mid fourth century. So like 300 something. Yep. Uh, he had two coats and he gave one away. So he, this is a man. <laughs> he takes scripture very seriously. Yeah. Right? He's, a, um, I don't think I'm out of place to say that he was a very holy man. Okay. And an envoy from the emperor was sent to talk to Basil because he had been saying some stuff that some people found, troubling and offensive mm -hmm. and they went and they told basil of caesarea that he needed to a stop and b come with them to go speak to the emperor and basil said no <laughs> and they said i can't believe it i've never met anyone who was this blatantly uh antagonistic toward the emperor yeah and basil says then you have never met a bishop Mm. Which is delightful. The kind of men that bishops ought to be are the kind of men that would hold service anyway. Now, to be fair, it is hard for a bishop to run a church service when the Nazis have physically removed you from your position and said no and then taken over your church. And then you go back in and you let them shoot you. Yeah, maybe. That's, yeah, yeah. It, you get martyred because that's <laughs> that's probably the right move. Yeah, um, my my point being, uh, unfortunately, having a service anyway is not always an option. Your option yeah. is leave or we'll kill you. Yeah, and the church has also historically gone to uh, underground things. Yep. And you, you know, you 
sometimes literally underground in, in basements and catacombs. Yeah, I mean, look at modern-day China. Yeah. You know, in a lot of cases over there, you, you can't be openly Christian or Catholic right. or whatever. And, and so they, they're at a point right now in modern-day history where they're having to run essentially underground churches. Yeah, and sometimes they're literally underground, and sometimes yeah. it's you meet in an old warehouse or you meet out in the woods and you take or the Holy in someone's or, house very carefully, you right. know. and these are the kinds of things that Christians and places that are hostile to Christianity have to do. Yeah, so you feel that high ecclesiastic churches would be okay with something like that for people in situations like that. Yeah, and there's plenty of historical precedent for it. Um, It's just also the case that high churches with high ecclesiology— their response to that kind of adversity historically has been A, to go underground, or B, to show up at sunrise on Sunday anyway. And get dead. And get dead. Uh, sometimes they don't get dead. Sometimes they, they show up and they do the thing, and yeah. for whatever reason, um, I would say miraculous and divine intervention, the Nazis or the Chinese soldiers or whomever doesn't stop them. Yeah, And they're able to get away with it for a good long while. We see that too. But, you know, just depends. I mean, you see that play out in Scripture and yeah. in early writings following, like immediately following the New Testament church, you see in stuff like, you know, Clement of Rome or whatever, persecution was everywhere, man. It was rough. And this wasn't, you know, modern-day American persecution where it's, oh, you don't like that we're— homosexual so we're gonna we're gonna tweet bad about you guys it's if you meet we're going to kill you (laughs) and you see in a lot of these cases they showed up anyway yeah they didn't care um so is it uh if if the church and the Christian doesn't have to go to a place and meet and do a thing to be part of the church, mm-hmm. then when persecution happens, the people that do go to the church and put themselves and their loved ones at risk and in danger, there are they'd be being foolish, right? Yeah. But I don't think that there's anyone who's... Um, a Christian that feels that way when we hear these stories of people in China that go and do the church thing. Yeah. We, we've, there's something in us that recognizes that as the right move, right? Yeah. Be, so. Because there, there is, you ought to go to church. It's not just a, you sit there with your buddies and you read the Bible and it's like you and your wife or whatever and then you sing a hymn and that's not what church is. Yeah. It's more than that. You go and you meet with other Christians. So there's a a fella at my church who I won't name who has gone on record saying, you know, I kind of wish America would go through like a period of religious persecution because that's when you find the church is at its strongest is when it is being pushed back and shoved down and 
you know, you try to extinguish that flame, that's when the church pushes back harder. That's when it is at its strongest. And I'm not so sure asking for religious persecution is the best move. (laughs) I don't think anyone necessarily wants to live through that, but I think that there is some truth to that. Um, In the words of Tertullian of Carthage, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Yeah. Which is so metal. Um, If you've ever met someone who's been a missionary to anywhere Mm -hmm. and you talk to them for more than about 10 minutes, you will find that they have plenty of stories of divine intervention in the life of the church, wherever it be. The Philippines or Thailand or China or Ecuador or wherever. The church, as the meeting place of heaven and earth, um, where the hands and feet of Jesus do the things of Jesus and do the divine work, um, that requires something of us, and sometimes it costs something of us, and that's okay. It's part of it. Yeah. Right? That's it's table stakes. Yeah, and if you want to get into to more of that and that line of thought, I would highly suggest anyone to read The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah, that's a good one. Which we called out in the Dietrich Bonhoeffer episode, but one of my personal favorite theological and or exegete writings. Um, The whole thing's basically a study on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's just him kind of picking that apart. Um, But the overarching theme of that is being a disciple of Christ comes with a cost, and you have to be willing to accept that when you buy into this life. And that cost is not cheap. It it is not a, a low cost. You are... You're signing your life away, realistically, and you have to be prepared for the consequences that come with that. Great book. Highly suggest. Um, in Oh, there's so many things that I could say about this topic. <laughs> what, what do you think, Ryan? What, what is the function of the church in the world? And as individuals, how, what is our duty toward that function? I think the church has numerous functions within society, or at least at the very least it should, uh, certainly. And I think that we, as the body of that church, as the members of the church, have an obligation to see those needs fi- filled. Um, first and foremost, it's, it, realistically, it is a gathering. It is a gathering for the people of God. And it is a holy thing for us, that was given to us by Christ. Christ himself instituted the church, which I think is a a really important thing we ought not dismay. He gave us the church. That alone gives it extreme value and importance, or at least it should, to anyone who claims to be a follower of Christ, first and foremost. It's a gathering for the people of God. It is a holy thing that was given to us by Christ, okay? That's first and foremost. And for me, that's enough to say, yep, church, do church. Church is important. Be part of the church. But it's more than that. The church is also a function that allows us to do community. 
And community is something that if you've been part of a church, or a good church at least, you should know, is good. It's very good. Because without community, the church is dead. <laughs> without a good community, the church cannot be. You know, what, what good does a church if you can't rely on your brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for you? Or to help you in your time of need? Or to lift you up when you're low? Or to rejoice with you when things are great? When, when the Lord has answered your prayers? That is the secondary function of the church. To be there for one another. The third function for the church is outreach. Outreach to the community. Both physically for, for the needs of, say, the poor, you know. If you have homeless people in your community, it ought to be the church's job to help those people. Feed the poor. Help house them if you're able. Help them, you know, find a job, whatever. You know, give them a place where they can belong. Help those in need, the widows, the like I, like I said, the homeless, the poor, um, whatever. You know, the orphan. But also spiritual outreach. It is an opportunity for us to spread the gospel because I don't know if you've experienced this, William, but trying to do that by yourself can be really hard sometimes. <laughs> Spreading the gospel is hard, man. It, it, or at least it can be very difficult. And how much easier might that be? How much lighter may that burden be on your shoulders when you have like-minded people who are there to help you? And I, I believe that to be the core functions of what the church ought to be. And there are countless other things we could discuss about what else the church ought to do or could do. But I think those are the core things. Is that fair? Yeah, that's uh Was my rant fair? Was your what what? Was my rant fair? Rant fair. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I th I think that that's a a fair way to think about the church. Um and you know, I, I'm I'm a lowly Protestant, right? So I don't disgusting. Yeah, I don't <laughs> hold to the idea that church is this this thing that like you've got to do it because if you don't there is no salvation, right? I, I, I don't um, hold to that. I believe that there are such things as sacraments. Mm -hmm. And I believe that those things that we call sacraments are distributed by the church. You can't go to a, uh, I don't know, a Hindu temple or a Muslim mosque and get baptized, and that counts. Yeah. Right? Baptism is a sacrament of the church, and it is administered by members of the church to other members who are becoming members of the church. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that makes me a bad Protestant, but that's fine. I don't care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's nothing new. I, yeah. I, I think that uh, the church administers sacraments, and one of those sacraments is charity. And yeah. we, we love our neighbors and help those in our community insofar as we can help them. And you can't love your neighbor without your neighbor. So yeah, go to the church, receive the sacraments, perform the sacrament of charity in your community, and 
do that yeah. because you you can't sitting at home and reading the Bible yourself for yourself is not a sacrament. No, it and, is profitable, but it's not charity either. No, right? It, it's not the work of the church. For most of human history, Christians, for the most part, were illiterate because most people, for most of time, were illiterate. Yep. So Protestants, we have this thing where we make a really big deal about reading the Bible, and we should because it's good to read the Bible, and you ought to read the Bible. But most Christians, for most of time, couldn't because they couldn't read. So it's that that is not the pinnacle of the Christian experience. It's not the pinnacle yeah. of the Christian experience to read Holy Scripture. It's a good thing. It's a worthwhile thing. And if you are literate, you probably should. But charity and participation in the body of Christ, that is, those are things that Christ calls us to do and things that Christ calls us into and to participate in. He does not call us to go read. Yeah. Right? Even if we're reading the words of Holy Scripture, I can't think of anywhere where Jesus is like, you know what I really want you guys to do? I want you to go read this book. I want you to read the Bible. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say that. Yeah. So, you know, so do with that what you will. Yeah. Let's let's come full circle here then. Kind of back to what we started with here All was right. what with COVID and things of that nature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here in America at least, I can't speak for other countries. We we sort of saw the birth of the live stream church. And that, that just became a thing. Well, for late adapt adopters, there were some churches, one that I am uh, good friends with, that has been live streaming for years. Mm. But, you know, yeah. they're just cool that way. Regardless, is attending a live stream church service sufficient? No. Is that churching enough? No. Why not? Because you're not in community with anyone. It's a parasocial relationship when mm. church is a social thing. Um, well, what about the elderly person who is bedridden in hospice care or is on their deathbed, perhaps? Or, I don't know, someone who, for whatever reason, is just physically incapable of attending a church? For them, it's better than nothing, but that's not church attendance. Mm. Is that fair? Okay. Live stream church is good, but it is not the same thing as attending church. You ever uh, put on a show on Netflix, Ryan? Yeah. Or Hulu or sure. whatever. About 10 to 15 minutes into the show, what do you find yourself doing? Looking at my phone. Yeah. 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 You ever put on a YouTube video on, on your laptop? And then yeah. what do you end up doing? Looking at your phone. You end up looking at your phone. You know what you don't do at church? Hopefully, look at your phone. You usually put the phone down. I would for, hope. For once, for once a week, for like, for like an hour, 45 minutes maybe, because you've got the Bible app on your phone and you pull it up. And then after you switch over from yeah. the Bible app to Instagram, you're like, I'm just going to put this down. You yeah. put your phone down. For 45 minutes once a week, you put your phone down. When you are at church, if you are listening to the live stream, if you're watching on your laptop or on your uh, your Roku, you're not paying attention in the same way that you would if you were there. And you're certainly not receiving any sacraments while you're sitting on your couch. For people that are old and bedridden, on death's door, whatever, 
It's better than nothing, but that is not church attendance. It's not the same thing. And if you had a high ecclesiology, the people that are bedridden and in the hospital, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door, your priest would go and visit them and they would administer the sacrament to the person there in the hospital bed. And some pastors or priests or whatever still do that. Some still do that, even in low, low ecclesiology. Yeah, uh, so I'll I'll bring this up. Do, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, the- yeah. So I'll I'll bring this story up, um, just because it is relevant, and also I I just think it would be good to good to talk about. Um, I do think that live stream church has a place within the church, sure, specifically for those reasons. Yeah. Um. Now, in the Dietrich Bonhoeffer episode. I mentioned a church attendee that that went to church with us by the name of Mr. Charlie, a World War II veteran. Yes. So less than two weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, I want to say, he just turned 102 years old. And first of all, that's just, that's cool. Good for him. Honestly, what a, what a blessing. Um, and... By golly, despite the fact that he was in hospice care and wheelchair bound and on oxygen, he showed up to church. He showed up anyway. And he was there and we all sang him happy birthday and we had a good time and we thanked him for his military service and for his life and and just him being there, right? Well, three days after, after his 102nd birthday... Three days, unfortunately, he he passed. Uh, God rest his soul. Um, he was surrounded by family, and our pastor was actually at his bedside. Uh, it was about 3 o'clock in the morning. Our pastor stayed there with his family until 3 a.m. until he passed. Uh, and what a blessing his life was, and just to have him be a part of our church. Um, by golly, he showed up in person. But... Every once in a while, for a man of his age with a lot of health issues that often come with that, he couldn't come physically sometimes, and he would often attend the live stream service. Yeah, and again, that's better than nothing. And good for him. I'm yeah. glad that that was an um, option for him. And I'm glad he was able to make it uh, a good chunk of the time. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that he was able to be so, plugged in uh, until— So, uh, all that to say, I just wanted to bring that up anyway because I just wanted to celebrate— Mr. Charlie and the life that he led. Uh, but also to say, you know, he did show up when he could, and I'm very glad for it, but by golly, the live stream was something that was beneficial for him because he was at a point in his life where he just couldn't show up every week. He can't. Right. So all that to say, I, I, I want to take the stance that if you can attend church, you should. Yeah, and like I, I'm not trying to poo-poo old yeah. folk that can't come all the time or even most of the time. That's God's not going to be mad at you if you're bedridden and can't come. That's okay. Yeah. But I, I think it is a misstep for us to put watching the live stream on the same footing as yeah. actually attending because they're not the same thing. They're, yeah. They're different experiences. Um. And even for churches with low ecclesiology, I think it is clear that it is more better to be in person mm-hmm. than not. 
because the thing that church is supposed to be is the sort of thing that requires you to show up. Um, yeah. For you to be I, a part of it. Yeah. I, I'd say keep the live stream churches around for people like Mr. Charlie, for the people who are at that stage in life, or, you know, maybe it's a younger person who has some kind of physical ailment. They're incapable of doing that. What, whatever you may have you, you know, have yeah. that there as an option for them. And it's, but yeah, it's a great if, thing for people. But if you're it. able to go to church, but you instead choose to do the live stream because you don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning. I don't want to sound mean, but shame on you. Be- because honestly, if Mr. Charlie can get his butt out of bed and get to church at 102 years old, so can you. Yeah. Um, and like, I'm sorry. Like, shame on you. I used to have a buddy who would, uh, this was years ago, but he would s- not come all that often. Yeah. And whenever anyone was like, oh, we haven't seen you the past couple of weeks. Is everything okay? He's like, oh, yeah, we've been watching the live stream. We've been watching on the live stream. He didn't watch the live stream. Mm. He just said that. Like, he watched it some. Yeah. But he was not tuning into the live stream on a weekly basis. Because I'd be like, hey, man, what'd you think about the service this Sunday or whatever? And he'd be like... Oh, well, you know, I was going to watch the live stream, but then I didn't. So it, yeah, it's one thing if you're actually engaging with it. It's another thing if you're just not. Yeah. Um, that's about all the thoughts I have on this. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, me too. And we're just about out of time here anyway. Yeah, so man. yeah, I think that's the big takeaway. Go to church. Go to church. Go to church if you are able. Receive the sacraments and be about the works of Christ, being his hands and feet and ultimately his bride. Thank you for tuning in to Theology-ish. If you have any questions or comments for us, please shoot us an email at theologyish at gmail.com. And don't forget to leave a review. Yeah, like, comment, subscribe on YouTube. Leave us a five-star review on Spotify. Don't smash that like button. And I think what I'm going to finally do this week, actually, is put up a and a on the Spotify. Oh, how um, exciting. I'm thinking uh, we could discuss this later, maybe, but I'm thinking maybe asking that question just... Do you feel that church is a necessary part of your life as a believer? Uh, maybe we'll see if anyone responds. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. But thanks for listening. That's all we've got this week. See you later, gamers. Is that our outro now? Sure, why not? <laughs> That's what the kids say. It's a cool thing if you're hip and young. Later, gamer. Yeah, well, see you later, gamers.